Thanks for tuning in to Big Money in the 805. We're doing a feature interview with two authors and local legends. We have Roger Thompson and Mean Marjean, the swimming machine, coming in the studio. We've got a great show for you today, and as always, we hope to make the next 30 minutes a very good investment of your time. Today's show is brought to you by GEICO Local Office, car and homeowner's insurance for the 805. You could save up to 15%. Call Greg Mock of GEICO Local Office, 805-487-7847. Michael Anderson, Chief Investment Officer at Maranatha Financial. Due to industry regulations, he will not discuss any of Maranatha's investments on this program. All opinions expressed by participants on this program are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Maranatha Financial or its affiliates. For more information, visit maranatha.com. It's time for Big Money in the 805 with your host, Michael Anderson, bringing you a feature interview, a local nonprofit spotlight, and some financial wisdom. Get local and relevant information for the 805. For show notes and more information, go to maranatha.com. And now here's your host, Michael Anderson. Thanks for tuning in to Big Money in the 805. We're doing a feature interview with two authors and local legends. We have Roger Thompson and Mean Marjean, the swimming machine, coming in the studio. We've got a great show for you today, and as always, we hope to make the next 30 minutes a very good investment of your time. Today's show is brought to you by GEICO Local Office, car and homeowner's insurance for the 805. You could save up to 15%. Call Greg Mock of GEICO Local Office, 805 487 7847. And welcome to the show. We have a wonderful show today. Local legend and accomplished author in studio, Roger Thompson. Roger was born and raised here in Ventura, California, and upon returning from college, Roger and his best friend, Tim Garrity, built the world-renowned indoor skate park, Skate Street, here in Ventura. People came from all over the corners of the globe to skate this legendary park and enjoy the city. And since then, Roger has been a writer and producer on dozens of surf movies, also designed skate parks, music venues, cafes, and boutique hotels throughout the U.S. and the Caribbean. He lives here in Ventura with his wife and two sons, where he writes, designs, and eats lots of tacos. Roger, thanks for being on the program today. Gosh, pleasure to be here. Excited. Let's start with this. You're born and raised here in Ventura. You've done great things on your way to doing many more big things, but what is the mindset? How hard is it to take on big projects like writing a book or uh, or building skate parks? Well, you know, the when I was a kid, I started a skate street. It was basically just out of college, and it was just young enough and probably dumb enough just to not know how hard it would be. And so the mindset back then was just, hey, if me and some buddies were going to do this incredible thing, we have this opportunity, and we just kind of went for it without really have a plan of how to pull it off. And once we succeeded with that, that kind of established, I think, my mindset to start saying, hey, well, I think just about anything is possible if you really kind of set your mind and your will to it. Um, and so ever since then, we've just been kind of going for as big as projects as we can come up with and, and got lucky a few times and missed on a few. But overall, it's been a really great ride. That's cool. I, I, I did go to Skate Street mm-hmm. Ventura. I went there. I'm not a skater, but I went with my cousin who enjoyed it, and the place was massive. It was huge, yeah. and uh, it was it was impressive to see what people were doing. At there. the time, it was the largest indoor skate park in the world, um, right here in Ventura, um, and the best pros. Tony Hawk used to come there and train. It was right before the X Games took off, so we were kind of in a sweet spot right when it was on a big rise. So all the pros came and trained there. We had contests there, and, and we saw some pretty mind-blowing tricks performed on our ramps. 
That's very cool. You released a, a guide recently. It was a guide to Ventura. Now, you're born and raised here. You've made this guide. It's a beautiful guide, by the way, for someone coming Thank to you. visit or, or just kind of how to spend a day in the life and just things to really do from a local's perspective. But what inspired you to write this guide? As you said, I've been born, I was born here and been raised here. And so Ventura to me has always been a different parts of my life. It's been something different to me. I think that's kind of uh, the way relationships evolve. Ventura, you know, as any town, is a living organism. As new ideas, new people move in, it kind of changes the, the nature of it a little bit, but it always stays true to a, a bit of a core. And so recently, as I started writing more, I was experiencing the city in a different way because the way I write is I, I, I write by drinking. And so I start by drinking in the morning. Usually it's coffee. Um, and then I kind of drink throughout the day. And, and my writing kind of follows that. And it was a different way to see the city, um, particularly in this kind of phase of life. And I was like, well, this would be kind of an interesting way to promote to my friends who are now finding out about Ventura through my books, you know, how to maybe come and enjoy the city. So that was kind of the inspiration behind it. Um, is to kind of show this relationship that I have with the city and maybe show some some unique things, some unique angles to the city that haven't been shown before. It w- really is enjoyable. It's 10 pages there. It's kind of a downloadable PDF with some great pictures and other things and kind of goes through how to spend the morning, the afternoon, the evening with various ideas and uh, very, very good guide. Are you going to be doing more guides for other locations as I th- well? I think I will. I'm, a, I'm working on one now in a little town I love in Montana. Um, but after my last book went out, one of the questions I get quite often is, you know, people, in fact, I have a guy, I think next week's coming to town, just based on what he read in the book. And they're always asking me, what do we do? What do we do when we come to town? And so that's part of the guide was I wanted to create a real simple thing that I could send off to people and say, hey, if you're coming to Ventura, you know, here's what you can check out. And then the second question I get often is, where's your favorite cities in the, the country that you've traveled to? And so I'm going to start doing some guides. There's a little town called Phillipsburg, Montana. It's in the middle of nowhere that my family's been enjoying for the last seven years. Go up there every summer. And, and that's one of those places that people need to know about. Um, it, you know, you won't be disappointed by going. They've got a ton of great things to offer. So I'll be my next guide. And after that, we'll just kind of play it by ear. I, I, I enjoy writing them. Um, I enjoy doing the research that has to go behind writing them. Yeah, you know, I enjoy drinking in the breweries that are in all the guides. You know, and so it's a fun it's a fun outlet for me. Something a little different than books. And your your writing, um, I really appreciate your style. We'll get into this a little bit, but um, you've written a number of books now. Most recently, you wrote the book uh, "We Stood Upon the Stars," a w- wonderful book. Uh, how did you get into writing? Let's start with that. Yeah, it was somewhat accidental. Um, after the kind of the backstory is, um, you know, after the skate park went on, you know, I got out of it and was doing some other things. And my best friend, I started a skate park, died in a tragic motorcycle accident. And I was wanting to do something that kind of commemorated the life we had lived together. And it was a bit of a, an outlet for me, I think, just a kind of cathartic way to kind of deal with some things. But what I found myself writing about wasn't all the tragedy. It was about all these really fun experiences we had as a kid in Ventura growing up on the beach or this, that. So I collected all these stories. And the tension at the time was just to preserve a memory that I was afraid I would lose. And then as some close friends started reading it, you know, I started getting some encouragement to, to start writing. And, and kind of the fun story is a, a buddy of mine grew up here. His name's Alex. And he's a friend of me and Tim. He's like, man, I really think you should you know, write this book, turn this into a book. And I was like, I don't think, you know, I could do that. And I, you know, I had never written anything before, or certainly hadn't published. And at the time, the no publisher would take uh, a manuscript from an unagented author 
So my buddy Alex says, this goes back to what I said earlier about, you know, all things are possible. He's like, well, we'll just create a fake agency and we'll submit it under that. And so that's what we did. So the first <laughs> book it. was submitted under this fake agency. What was the name of it? The Alexander Field Agency. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, it's something he'd kind of dabbled with a little bit on the side. But, man, it just was the way to kind of break in. But it was that sense of, hey, we could, you know, we could do this. And so but it was an encouragement of him to do it. So that's kind of how I got into the writing. I just kind of found that I loved it. And so I've been you know, writing ever since. Well, let's talk about your book, your recent book that you did, which is uh, We Stood Upon the Stars. It's filled with travel and adventure stories. And I just love your style. It's very contemporary and the word choices to describe, you know, the words or set up the scene. I feel like I relate to your perspective in terms of uh, how you're doing that. But let me, let me share a few thoughts from some things that I've, you know, Great. read that you wrote. So um, one, one of them that I love, uh, it says, I take my boys fishing because some lessons can only be taught by the river. I just want to ask you, I love that, by the way, but what are some of the poignant lessons you've found more accessible to be taught by the river? You know, one of them, I mean, there's a, there's a lot, but the thing that comes to mind right away is like patience. You know, we talk about patience being this virtue. Well, in the river, when you're fishing, patience is, you know, 80% of fishing is basically not catching anything, or for some people, 100% of fishing is not catching anything. But the, the the ability to kind of teach the boys, you know, that patience, that persistence, um, we fly fish. And with fly fishing, there's a certain mark you have to hit. And so there's a lesson to be learned about when you hit your mark, that's where you'll catch a fish. And, you know, I try to translate that to life. Hey, you know, aim for something, because if you don't aim for something, you're not going to catch anything. And so, so those are some of the, some of the ones we've discussed. Um, and it's just the river and, you know, the rivers and the outdoors and nature just as it brings something alive in us and it puts us in touch with something that we can't often get in our cities. And so I love taking my boys there and my wife and, and obviously I wrote a whole book about it. Um, but those are the things, you know, those are the reasons why we go. Also, I really liked on your website something you wrote about yourself. You said, I spent most of my adult life wishing I was rich and skinny. Only then I'd tell myself, could I live the life I wanted full of adventure and romance? There are plenty of lies that keep us from living our life to the fullest. Mm -hmm. So do you find that everyone has lies that they tell themselves? And, and what do you mean when you say live life to the fullest? What does that mean for you? Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, we're, there's this kind of cultural cue that we all chase after some I idea of success and identity and these things. And I've been chasing that most of my adult life. Um, and those are the things we, you, you kind of tongue in cheek say it's about being rich and skinny, but ultimately that's what, you know, every New Year's, those are the pe things that people put on their, their list, right? That they want to lose weight, make more money. Well, what I found is the pursuit of those things didn't really ever get me anywhere. Uh, it's just a big, you know, treadmill or whatever, you know, and so what we started looking at in more recent years is what brings us great joy in our life and when we start talking about living life to the fullest, it's really around, for me, it was some very simple list, you know, surfing, grilling meat on my barbecue, hanging out with my boys, taking my wife out to dinner. I mean, it was very simple things that really bring me great joy. It's like, if I'm going to live my life to the fullest, it's going to be doing more of those things and giving myself permission to get out of this kind of race of trying to find cultural success. Um, so that's, that was a big turning point in my life. And, and that's why I try to tell others quite a bit too, is like, you can live the life you want to live. You just have to give up kind of this bondage of what the world's putting on you. 
I think that's very well said, and there's a lot of good stuff to that. I, I really appreciate that. Another thing you mentioned I want to share also on your website, you said, my oldest son wants to be a professional surfer. My youngest son wants to be a professional skateboarder or basketball player, whichever one pays more. And they are young enough to believe in a magic that says all things are possible. We encourage this belief and we tell them they can climb the mountain peak of their dreams. It just takes the courage to do it. So how do you encourage them? As a parent, do you ever try to refocus their attention back to what they said they want to accomplish if you find that their kind of interest is waning? Or how do you maintain that rigor for your kids' stated goals? You know, part of it is asking them what their goals are and not and not judging or, do, you know, because their goals, you know, like still, the my youngest has given up the basketball dream. Now he's all into skateboarding. And I know a lot about skateboarding. I was in the skateboarding world um, for many years. And his dreams about being a skateboarding, it'd be easy for me to come in and say, well, here's kind of the 10 reasons why that's probably not likely. And instead, you should probably get a law degree. Um, well, what I'm kind of finding, at least my theory, we'll see this turns out to be true, is, you know, if I support his dreams now, it's going to keep me out of uh, lots of counseling with him later. And so, you know, I try to, one, to just say, what are your dreams? And and I don't know that that it's important. If he becomes a professional skateboarder, that'd be awesome. But I want him to believe that he can achieve that and let him decide if it's going to work or not work for him um, and then keep encouraging that along the way. You know, I think that um, this day and age, particularly the way the world our kids are growing up, it feels like the, anything's possible for these kids. The world's changed in so many ways, and I don't want to put the limitations of my life on them. Um, I want them to, to truly believe they can climb that mountain and, and encourage them to do that. Well, it's, it's interesting because I guess, and just to play devil's advocate for a second on that, because mm-hmm. some, some stuff, it's like, you know, it's like with my ch- children, they're, you know, under six foot. And for right. them to want to play basketball, I want to encourage them to do that if they want to. Right. But at some level, I also want to help them find their next thing. Mm-hmm. If they're spending so much time on this thing and it's not their thing, right. are they not able to find their next thing? And at some level, are we supposed to facilitate that or not? Mm-hmm. Or is that all supposed to be organic? And I don't have the answer. Yeah, I don't know. Ex- <laughs> I, mean, I suppose if your son's like, you know, he's like 29 going down playing the hoops, like at the <laughs> high school and saying, I'm going to make the NBA still. Like, right. Maybe that's a point to, to step in and let him do that. But, you know, I think that, you know, you, you build these kids up, they'll figure that stuff on their own. I figured out a long time ago I wasn't going to be a professional surfer, but it was the dream of wanting to be a professional surfer and loving surfing that led to other things in the surf world, like making surf movies or doing other things. And so I had a lot of joy of, you know, that's come from the surf world, and it's because at one point I wanted to be a professional surfer. Um, if, I, if I had not pursued that, I wouldn't have found these other avenues that ultimately ended up being what I did. Let's talk about parenting. Um, you have a couple young boys, uh, and, and how has becoming a parent played into your role with writing in that career, and how do you balance the roles of being a writer but also mm. being a father? That's a great question. The, um, the, the best thing about parenting with writing is it gives you endless material because my kids do the craziest things, um, and it gives me stuff to write about, so that's a lot of fun. Yeah, but writing is somewhat inherently selfish because to write, I have to get away to a space that I'm all by myself um, to do this thing. And when I'm in the middle of a, a manuscript deadline, I'll usually remove myself from the city. I'll go to another city and lock myself up in a room and, and just pound away until I, I get it. And so it's a constant battle to try to be 
present when I'm around. And then when, cause I'm, when I'm gone, I'm just gone. And so the way I've balanced is when I am around, like this morning, I took my kid. There was no surf today, but we got up early, tried to find some surf, and there wasn't. And so then we went to get breakfast, and then we hung out in the school parking lot in my van until the bell rang. And so, you know, when I'm here, I'm trying to be as present for him as I possibly can be. Uh, that's I think that's well stated, and it's it's hard to find that balance for anyone. Mm-hmm. But it's it's even I think in some ways more difficult when there's not a a set schedule. That's right. Right yeah. when it's when it's just you make your schedule, or you mm-hmm. choosing to be here or not here, and right. and uh, and that can go on. The pendulum can swing both ways on that, and sometimes. Right. But uh, what are you working on now? Share with us some things that are coming up now. Are there any books you're working on right now, or other projects you have on the horizon? Yeah, I'm doing several fun projects right now. I, I do. I've started on a new book. Um, it's not far enough along yet to know exactly what it is to describe, but it's a fun process. The way that I write is, I'll get going on a project and it kind of emerges. It's like you know, it's all in this. It's like a you know, when you're chiseling something out of stone, a statue out of stone. It's in the stone. I'm just chiseling away right now, trying to figure out what what the statue wants to be. Um, so that's a lot of fun. So I'm doing that. Um, I'm ghostwriting my very first book I've ever done. So a good friend of mine has a fabulous career, and um, he, was a, he was a rock star for a long time and has done some great things in the nonprofit world. And so I'm collaborating with him to write his story. That's a lot of fun. And I'm also working on a, another surf movie. So we've just started the script writing process. And so the, the, the writing has turned out to be just a great joy, and these great projects seem to be finding me. So it's been a lot of fun to do that. Hey, let's talk a little bit about your uh, your guide. I want to go back into that a yeah. little more, maybe dive into some of the details. Mm-hmm. So um, it starts out with uh, with the morning, like mm-hmm. the morning adventure. What what are some spots? Give us a give us a rundown. Let's say we got a, someone coming to visit from uh, Kansas. They're right. going to be here for two days. Yeah. in Ventura. What what are you, what are you telling them to do? You know, I, I t- obviously you're going to most likely start with coffee, but. For me, I'm looking for, through the, from the writer's angle, I'm looking for inspiration. So it's not just the coffee. There, there's some, you know, sometimes that's all you need is a cup of coffee, right, to get you going, or three or five. But for, for me, I'm usually looking for a vibe. Like, where is the vibe that I'm going to be inspired? What's going to be around me? What am I going to be looking at? And so there's a couple things I love to do. One is I love to go to kind of downtown early in the morning and just kind of watch the city come alive a little bit. And Palermo Coffee is a great place for that. You know, you can sit out there and kind of watch the shop owners come and go. There's a great kind of, you know, morning crowd that comes in there. Um, so in the early morning I go there or the new place on Mills Facel, that's near my house. And so that's a fun place for me to go down to as well. And you can kind of see the cars go by those big windows and everyone's on their way to work. So the early morning, I kind of like the vibe of those places to kind of just get me going with my inspiration. And then as it progresses, I actually you know, move along. It's like a progressive coffee date with me. And so <laughs> afterwards, you know, I go to the place that, you know, I know you love too, is Kay's Coffee down in Seward. I spend the bulk of my riding will go, will happen there. And I, again, I just love the vibe down there. It's right down by the beach. You know, I can put the computer down for a second, go for a walk, look, look for sea glass, you know, so it's great. So it kind of progresses that way. I love those spots, by the way, all mm-hmm. wonderful Ventura spots. Let's progress into lunch now. Yeah. Where 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 I'm some spots? Yeah. yeah, I know. Well, I appreciate your your thinking yeah. here. Yeah. So I, it's also good to share. Sure. You know, I, I've got kind of a um, a certain issue with tacos. I think some might call it an addiction. Um, my son just got an awesome shirt. It says skateboarding, skateboarding, skateboarding tacos. And if 
it was big enough, I would steal it from him because that's kind of what <laughs> it is. So, so for tacos, for me, there's a number of places I love to go. Um, you know, our family spot is Snapper Jacks, and as we call it the cafeteria because we're there kind of all the time. But like when I'm by myself, I like to go deep in the avenue and just try to find some. Like I can't, I don't even know what the places are sometimes that I'm eating at. And there's one on telephone. I tell people it's my secret taco place because I don't know the name, but it's um, in the Ross. Uh, where the Ross store is, that shopping center across from a Starbucks. And like I said, I don't even know the name of it, but the tacos there just changed my life. They're, they're <laughs> carne asada and El Pastor, just phenomenal. So, you know, I'll go there for street tacos, typically one of those places. Then for kind of a non-taco, or sometimes I'll throw in tacos, um, is Spencer McKenzie's kind of like an, kind of like a local legend place. That place is amazing. So I'll, I'll go there. And if someone's coming in from out of town and, you know, their, their guts aren't quite prepared for the taco experience, I'll usually take them to Spencer McKenzie, and you know, we, everybody can find something they love there that still has a, a great kind of local flair to it. I love it. Well, we're getting good information here from Roger Thompson. He's an accomplished author, a local legend here in Ventura, and it's been a treat to have you on the program today, Roger. You can go to his website, rogerwthompson.com. Uh, you can also find the him on Facebook, uh, facebook.com author Roger W. Thompson also on Instagram. Roger, thanks for being on the program today. Oh, it was my pleasure. Let's go get some tacos soon. <laughs> I love it. Who's to say what's impossible? Now it's time for the Nonprofit Spotlight with your host, Michael Anderson, on Big Money in the 805. Nonprofit Spotlight. Each week we highlight a local nonprofit doing good work in our community. Today's Nonprofit Spotlight is brought to you by Era Energy, powered by safety, innovation, and community. We help keep California moving forward. Now, normally we have a nonprofit spotlight, but today is a special day. We have a local Ventura County legend in the studio. It's my pleasure to be sitting here with Marjean Tinoco. She's commonly known as Mean Marjean or Mean Marjean the Swimming Machine. For over 67 years, she's taught swimming, and uh, over 60 of those here in Ventura County. Thousands of kids and now multiple generations of kids have learned to swim from Mean Marjean. She is retired, but she still does occasional lessons, and you can reach her at 805-647-6374. Thank you for being in studio with us today, Marjean. Thank you for having me. Now, you've taught thousands of kids how to swim, and you've taught my kids how to swim, and uh, you know you have a method that has worked for ages. How do you get these kids to swim so well so fast? I don't believe in blowing in their face and ducking them under straight up and down. I tap them on the back of the head three times, put their face under. By the third day, you tap them, they put their own face under. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> and by the end of... Eight lessons, they're swimming on their own. Well, a lot sooner than that. By the first week, the four, first four lessons, they're already swimming a little bit. Oh, you do such a wonderful job. And with my kids teaching them how to swim, it was fun to watch you work. And you definitely do live up to the name Mean Marjean. You, <laughs> you yell at the parents for trying to coddle their kids too much. And, and it appears you have rules that you just like the parents to follow and the kids to follow. And you let them know what, what those rules are. And that's part of it. But describe how it helps to be mean as Mean Marjean. Well, I'm meaner to the parents because they try to interfere and tell their kids what to do. Kids like discipline. 
They love to be disciplined, and they'll learn what you want them to do if you keep them going in the direction you want them to. And when the parents interfere or coddle them, it doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> Do you notice now, being that it's been you know, so many years, over a half century of teaching swimming, are parents coddling their kids more now than they did years ago? Yeah, they used to swat them on the <laughs> But <laughs> I shouldn't say that word, but they used to swat them and say, now you do it. But nowadays they can't do that or they get... I think parents are a little more timid in terms of that. And that's that's an interesting thought. I did get your book. You wrote a book. It's on Amazon. It was a great read, a short read, but a very good one at that. I, I really enjoyed it. How I Caught Guppies, Whales, and Salmon for Over a Half Century. It was a quick read. It's on Amazon, Marjeanne Tinoco. I do want to read an excerpt from the book. Um, you had polio... Growing up, at the age of five, you you had polio and you lived in a quarantine iron lung for six months. Many of your students, actually, you went to school with, thought you had. They were told you had passed away. And at one point, I think uh, there's an, in the book you were feeling defeated and a little frustrated, and you said to your grandma, "I can't walk." And at that's a time she swatted you on the butt <laughs> and said, "I can't, cannot do anything." I can does everything. I really like that little excerpt and that, that, that <laughs> quote. I, that really touched me. And so I want to ask you this question. Having polio and living in quarantine and fighting through that to be able to walk, does that tie into how you teach kids to swim and fight through the fears of swimming? Oh, sure. Because grandma, grandma taught me that we can do all things if we trust in God and know what we can do. And so by her making me walk, it gave me the courage to make kids swim because they said I would never walk. Mm. And so I was very fortunate. And the nice thing was I got to sit on President Roosevelt's lap because he took all the polio patients on stage with him in Brookings, South Dakota, and I got to go up there. Well, that's really neat. That is really neat. And also in your book, I mean, you talk about divorce and remarriage, also the tragedy when your, your mother had cancer. A lot of really poignant moments here in the book that you share. Also, you talk about teaching celebrities how to swim. So coming across a few local celebrities, any stories you can share briefly about, uh, about doing that? Well, I taught in Vivian Distance home, who was Johnny Cash's ex-wife. And I taught all their kids and their grandkids. Thomas Gabriel was the last one. And while I was teaching him, he's Roseanne's son, I heard Johnny Cash singing. And I go, oh, you got on Johnny Cash. That's my favorite singer. And she said, well, if you turn around, you can see him. That's my dad, and he's right here. And him and Jude Carter were there. And I got to hug Johnny Case, and he gave me a kiss on the cheek, which I swore I'd never wash my face again. <laughs> well, our guest today is Mean Margine, the swimming legend and uh, the swimming machine. Thank you for being on the program, Margine. You can reach Margine. She is retired, but she does still help occasionally. Uh, you can reach her at 805-647-6374. Thank you, Margine. Thank you. Well, that does it for our show today. Thanks for tuning in. To 
to Big Money in the 805. Special thanks to the team at Boyd & Associates, providing home security to Southern California, and also to Greg Mock from Geico Local Office. If you have questions about the show or questions about your financial matters, you can always contact me at marinantha.com. That's M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A.com. Or you can give me a call at 805-665-3767. Thanks for listening. Have a great week and join us again next time. Hi, this is Michael Anderson, Certified Financial Planner. I've dedicated the past 12 years to researching different investment ideas. There are no guarantees when investing, but with a little help, you can find the right approach. I have built AllocationLink.com specifically for you. AllocationLink.com is investment management made simple, smart, and low cost. AllocationLink.com can have your account set up in less than 10 minutes. Please visit AllocationLink.com to learn more. Or you can leave me a message at 805-665-3767. Do you ever question if your investments are right for you? Do you own any annuities, retirement accounts, or have other money you want help with? Have you ever wondered what your advisor is making or how they get paid? Get a free second opinion. Talk with Michael Anderson, Certified Financial Planner. Call his answering service today, 805-665-3767. Leave a message and get a call back immediately, 805-665-3767.